Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hi everyone, it's Michael McNutt with Weedy. Before we chat with our guest, a little bit about Weedy. For nearly 30 years, Weedy has been the instrumental force in igniting public-private partnerships to empower meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Recognized and trusted as a formal advisor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Weedy is the leading authority on the use of health IT to efficiently improve health information exchange, enhance care quality, and reduce cost. Learn more about us on our website, wedi.org. It's my pleasure today to welcome Dr. Dan Blumenthal, a practicing board-certified non-invasive cardiologist, an instructor at Harvard Medical School, and the president of Novocardia, the value-based division of the Cardiovascular Associates of America, which focuses on the development, testing, and scalability of clinical and contracting models that improve quality of care and efficiency while lowering cost. Dr. Blumenthal, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm excited to excited to talk to you today. Excited to have you. Wow. So, cardiologist, instructor at Harvard Business School, uh, medical, medical school. school, president of Novocardi. Where do you have time to be my guest on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I. Uh, with, um, it, you know, I, I, uh, these kind of talking, talking to, to. Um, to you and, and talking to your listeners and to people who are interested in healthcare and health IT is really important to me. So I, I view this as being part of my job and I make the time. Appreciate um, it. Appreciate it. Now, well, before we go deeper into cardiology, value-based care, the future of healthcare, let's talk about you. So we always open with our origin story, you know, like every healthcare hero has an origin story. Uh, what is yours? Um, good question. So I, um, so I come from a medical family. Both my parents are, are physicians. Um, and my, my dad's a primary care doctor. My mother's a psychiatrist. Um, and, um, and my sister's actually a primary care doctor as well. And I, I kind of came around to medicine. You know, a lot of people know from the time they were really little that they want to be doctors. I came around to medicine towards the end of college when a, you know, a close family member got sick. And that for me was kind of the the catalyst to deciding that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and, um, um, you know, but, but I was, um, I was really interested in that time in journalism and a bunch of other things, um, that were, that were not really medically focused. And I think actually having that perspective and having, you know, having thought about other careers and, and, and thought about, um, how, how parts of the world function, including businesses, has has actually really served me well as a physician. Um, and I'm really happy with the choice that I made to go to medical school and become a cardiologist. I still practice. I love um, clinical practice. Um, I still see patients every week in, in my outpatient practice. And so that's a, a big part of who I am. Let, let's talk about that perspective that you just mentioned. You wanted to get into journalism. Awesome. I, I, was, uh, I wanted to get into journalism for a second. Um, <laughs> then I changed and flipped over. But, you know, we always, we always find our calling uh, at different times in life. But how, how talk about the perspectives and how, like, you know, the, the business idea, the medical idea, how, does, how do you feel that that helps you in your line of work now, having these multiple hats that you can kind of t- uh, take off take on and be able to speak through those eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I can, I think I spend a lot of my time now thinking about how systems function and how our care model, how, how our, our, our system pays physicians 
um, and how we <clears throat> and how care is delivered. And a lot of that thinking relates to you know how how organizations are structured, right? And and what motivates people, and um, and relates to health policy, um, right? And and what our federal and state governments are doing to try to put the right incentives in place and the right oversight in place to drive better care at lower cost, which is, I think, what, what most of us who are dedicated to, committed to, passionate about value-based care, um, spend all of our time thinking about when we're, when we're in my case, not practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, um, having an understanding of, um, of all of those elements, and I was a government major in college um, and, you know, and then went to business school when I was in medical school, having that understanding of how federal policy, or at least a, a deep interest in how federal policy is made and, and a continued focus on learning about that. And then having an understanding of, of you know, core business principles is critically important for structuring the right care model and the right payment model to help drive towards better care at lower cost. Excellent, excellent. Um, so let's talk about uh Cardiovascular Associates of America and Novo Cardia. Uh, just recently, this year, I believe that you guys kind of combined your forces to become like this superpower in terms of value-based <laughs> care. So, so talk to me about Novo Cardia, uh, the work yes. that you do there, and then the recent kind of combining and, and working with Cardiovascular Associates. Yeah. So, so Novo Cardia is uh, Novo Cardia and Cardiovascular Associates of America merged. Um, in April, early April of 2023. And Tim Atterbury, who is our CEO, the CEO of Cardiovascular Associates of America, and I, um, you know, really um, see eye to eye on on the vision for where um, healthcare is going in this country and where cardiovascular care in particular is going. And and that was at the core of of, um, this merger, right, was a a common vision um, that we shared about the importance of enabling physicians, not just primary care physicians, which is where the value-based care movement has started, but also specialists to really be engaged actively in this transition to, to um, accountable care, financial accountability for clinical outcomes, um, and, um, and putting the right pieces in place to help, in our case, cardiovascular specialists um, to um, receive the right financial incentives to do um, the right things for patients. Not that they're not doing them now, but there are additional things that I think we could be doing. There, we can always get better. And there are additional things that we could be doing, um, which um, uh, require investments in care model infrastructure and population health, right? Which um, really makes sense in a value-oriented world where you're actually sharing in the financial accountability for total cost of care for a patient population, but may not make sense in a, in a world where you're being reimbursed purely for delivering services, mm-hmm. which is we have for, in most of this country um, uh, when we are, are reimbursed in a fee-for-service model. And, um, and, and so that was at the origin of, of, of this partnership. And, you know, what, what Novocardia had invested in at the time, um, we had we had we were working with two really terrific clinical practices based in Florida. Um, we'd made deep investments in data and analytics infrastructure, in technology enablement of care delivery, um, and in building a contracting model for risk arrangements to help support our physician partners to engage in those risk arrangements. 
Um, CVA USA had a much broader, larger clinical network of partners, um, had at that point in time not made as uh, the same kinds of investments in in the infrastructure supports that, that we had invested in. And so I think we, we brought really complementary areas of expertise, investments, assets to the, to the table to, um, to, to make this partnership um, one that made a, a tremendous amount of sense for both parties um, clinically and operationally and in terms of vision. Excellent. Sounds like a match made in heaven. So we're speaking with Dr. Dan Blumenthal, president of Novocardia here on the Collective Voice of Health IT. Uh, now let's talk about, you mentioned quite briefly, uh, the magic word. And you know what? I might start doing this on the show. Every time someone says the magic word, I might just have like bells and whistles and buzzers going off. You mentioned data and data is king here with Weedy. Yeah. Uh, so talk about how you have used uh, purpose-built data or data, patient data, you know, operational data uh, to improve the patient outcomes and enable your partners uh, to really successfully start achieving and addressing and embracing and leveraging value-based care. Yeah. So um, data, I, I mean, I, so I started my career not, you know, after training as a health services researcher, right, using large data sets to understand, evaluate the determinants of the cost and quality of heart disease care in this country. So I have a deep, deep, deep appreciation for the importance of, of the use of data to inform our understanding of how care is delivered, where we're spending money, where we can improve. And, um, and you know, I think both um, uh, both CVA USA and Novocardia and as a combined organization, right, it, it, this merged entity, um, are, are committed to using data, not just data derived at the point of care, right, from the electronic health record, but also claims data um, um, to inform our understanding of care patterns, of care outcomes, and of costs and where we're spending money, and to use data to, to understand where the opportunities are to deliver better care at lower cost. And so we've um, made large investments in analytics infrastructure needed to evaluate those outcomes um, and um, to enable the delivery of those data to the decision makers at the point of care, right? To the cardiologists and and um, uh, and care teams on the ground who are who are really in need of those data to help inform decision making. Um, they also are very valuable for providing just general feedback about performance, right? Where is it? Um, even if you're not using them in real time to, to make a decision about how you care for a patient right now, right? Having those data um, helps you to understand where you can make improvements going forward based upon what you see you've been doing in the past. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about uh, these kind of pillars, these four steps that I saw on Novo Cardia's website, uh, develop, test, curate, scale. How do these play into creating that better care system that um, you guys, you've just been talking about? Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there, you, you can't, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to, you, you've, you know, this is an incremental process and, um, and um, we have to go through a series of steps, right? Where we are creating what we think the high value care model looks like, right? And that is informed with data. So we, we use data to understand what it is that we're doing and, and what should be done. And we 
you know, not just data from our practices, but published data, published literature um, to understand best practices and to identify opportunities for improvement. We put together a model um, of care delivery that we think addresses that opportunity for improvement. Um, we, um, we work with our, our partners on the ground, our physician partners, not only to develop that care model, but then also to pilot it, to roll it out, mm -hmm. understand how, it, how you implement a, a set of concepts in practice. Um, and then you use the feedback that you generate from that rolling out um, to curate, right? To, to refine, improve, and then to scale. And it's, it's a, you know, a, um, um, it, it's a, this is a well-trodden kind of well, well, um, you know, well-outlined approach for, for innovation and kind of incremental iterative improvement. Excellent. Now you, do you have any examples of models that you are yeah. working on, um, yep. preparing, proposing, walk us through one yeah. of your models. Yeah. I, so, you know, we recently launched a, um, um, a, a partnership model with a primary care group, which is, you know, at risk, meaning they are, they are financially accountable for the total cost of care, mm. um, for a large patient population, predominantly Medicare Advantage patient population. And, um, we have entered into an arrangement or um, um, with them to share, right, um, in the costs, um, both, uh, you know, the cost of delivering cardiovascular disease care for a subset of that population, and also to share in the savings. If we deliver better care at lower cost and we are able to um, reduce outcomes that are are harmful to patients and which have financial cost for those patients and for, for payers and the system, um, then we, we get to share in some of the savings along with those who, who are financially accountable, meaning the, the primary care group and the payer. So that's an example of, of an arrangement that, you know, we are, we've just structured. Looking forward to having you back on in the near future to let us know how this model is going. Uh, congratulations for it to be sent out and, and launched, but uh, looking forward to having you back uh, sometime soon to talk to us about that model. Um, let, let's chat about health equity and, and kind yeah. of that marriage of value-based care and health equity um, through addressing health equity, um, equity forced, forced uh, equity focused payment approaches can support and even incentivize care delivery transformation. Um, how is Nova Cardia contributing to health equity and addressing health disparities? Yeah. So I, I think maybe take it, if we just kind of zoom out for, for a moment and think about the, the populations of patients who, um, who we are really focused on in value and risk-based models. These are predominantly Medicare, almost entirely Medicare populations. And within that, Medicare Advantage populations. And, and a big percentage of those Medicare Advantage populations are, are dual eligible patients, meaning that they are being insured both through Medicare and Medicaid, either because they're disabled or because they are low income. Um, and, um, and we know from, from, you know, great work done by health services researchers across the country that, um, that those patients, um, struggle with access to high quality, lower cost care, despite having a lot of financial, 
um, benefits through their special needs plans to help reduce the out-of-pocket costs of the care that they receive. Um, and so, you know, very, very at a very high level, we are predominantly focused on building value and risk-based payment models and partnerships, better coordination of care with provider, primary care clinicians who are caring for large percentages of those patients. Um, and so this is this is a very, very important area of, of you know, um, a focus for us. Um, we are, um, you know, we are tracking, we, we gather information about social determinants of health it, for the populations of patients who are going to be in risk arrangements. Um, we think about social determinants when we are looking at um, risk factors for adverse outcomes, unavoidable hospitalizations, avoidable emergency room visits, right? Um, we think about how we have to inform people about what medicines to take and how to take them um, and what education they have, what language they speak, um, and, and how we have to deliver our guidance very clearly in a very straightforward and easy to understand way. And so all of our patient-focused or patient-facing guidance is, is written, you know, to, to be understood at a sixth or seventh grade reading level, right, in, in in keeping with the need to really try to simplify our messaging when we're talking to patients to ensure that they have the best possible shot of doing the things that we think they need to do to keep themselves healthy. Excellent, excellent. Speaking with Dr. Dan Blumenthal here on the Collective Voice of Health IT this week, um, let's. you have many hats, so let's put on the federal hat and let's yeah. talk about well, what's happening at the federal policy level. Uh, and, and leading to the interest in shifting that cardiology payment reform toward value-based models. What have you seen? Uh, what's on the horizon? What would you like to see? Yeah. So, uh, great question. I, I think um, the first is, you know, it, it, we're now 15 years into, or at least 15 years into, a you know, a very strong push um, by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to um, – reduce how much we're spending for the outcomes that we're getting um, from the care that's being delivered, um, right? The, the need to curb spending has been an area of focus for, for, um, for CMS um, and for the federal government for, for a good deal of time now. And, um, you know, more recently, um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation announced that, uh, and this is in the last year, announced that they are setting a goal of having 100% of Medicare fee-for-service or traditional Medicare beneficiaries in accountable care relationships by 2030. Um, and that's a, that's a, um, and a you know, that's a, uh, um, a, a really lofty um, goal and one that I certainly support. Um, um, it also signals very clearly where Medicare is continuing to push in terms of in terms of wanting people to be in relationships where their clinicians are accountable for the costs of the services that their their patients are receiving. Um, you know that's that's half of the Medicare population. The other half is is already in Medicare Advantage, which is um, you know the majority of which is really managed Medicare. Right, this is Medicare delivered by private payers, um, and. Um, and, and the model there has predominantly been one where private payers partner directly with clinicians on the ground and will 
engage them in shared savings models or even global subcapitation or total cost of care models where the, where the physicians become accountable for the vast majority of the spending for those patients. So on both sides of the Medicare population, the traditional Medicare, Medicare fee-for-service and the Medicare Advantage population, we've had a large push over the last you know, decade, decade and a half, and, and you know, kind of renewed um, um, uh, commitment to the, the shift to value for, for, um, for publicly insured older Americans who you know, comprise the majority of cardiology patients. The, the, um, a lot of that risk has, has you know, gone, I think, appropriately um, through primary care physicians. And as a country, we've struggled to engage specialists in risk models, to engage them in efforts to drive down total costs of care. Um, Medicare understands that. This is, you know, I, I don't want to speak for them, but based on my understanding and, and where they've invested time and energy and effort, they understand that. They've attempted to put in place a number of different types of payment models, including bundled payments and kidney care models and, you know, oncology alternative payment models. Um, and MIPS and MACRA, right, which all create incentives of some kind to improve quality. Um, and we're starting to see, you know, substantial engagement, I think, from specialists. Um, we have a lot more work to do there. And cardiology and cardiologists, um, you know, have not yet, um, I think, been engaged at the level that, that I want them to, that we want them to. Um, we have a tremendous amount to contribute to efforts to drive down total costs of care and improve quality for Medicare patients. Um, because that is our bread and butter patient population. That's who we, that's that those are, you know, cardiovascular illness for the most part is a set of illnesses of aging. And, um, and so um, there's huge opportunity there. Um, we spend 300 to $350 billion a year on cardiovascular disease in this country. And that is one in $6 spent on healthcare. Wow. So it's a huge chunk of spend and a huge opportunity. And most of that is concentrated in the Medicare age population. And, you know, we're just starting to scratch the surface. I think of what is possible um, in, in, in the engagement of cardiovascular specialists to drive improvements in quality and outcomes through the use of, of, not just care model redesign, but also, um, you know, incentive redesign, right, and, and risk sharing. Well, I wish you all the best, and I know you, like you said, you're scratch, just scratching the surface. So it's going to be an exciting road ahead for you at Novocardia. Um, and it was interesting, beautiful synergy. Yeah. I love synergy. You mentioned. CMS uh, and CMMI. Uh, CMMI will be speaking at Wheaties National Conference discussing their latest uh, payment model that they just released not too long ago, November 6th through the 9th in Washington, D.C. Also a hybrid option, so go to Wheaties.org to sign up for our national conference uh, to continue the conversation of value-based care with CMMI. Um, I'd be remiss the past six, eight, 10, 12 months or so to not ask the question regarding artificial intelligence and how it's playing into the world of cardiology. Um, you know, so how, how has, uh, I know you're really focused on value-based care, but also emerging technologies can help healthcare yeah. and health car, help cardiology move in a very efficient manner. How have you experienced artificial intelligence? What are your thoughts so far? Where do you think it'll take healthcare? Yeah. 
Well, um, you know, I did not use chat GPT to prepare for this. So, um, (laughs) um, but, um, I, um, you know, artificial intelligence, um, has a tremendous, again, I think talking, speaking of things that we've just scratched the surface on, I, I mean, I don't think I've fully wrapped my head around the, the, the spectrum of uses of artificial intelligence in, in healthcare. I mean, you know, ranging, uh, I'll, I'll give you a few examples of, 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 you know, uses that I've observed over the last year or two, um, that I think are, are really smart and make a great deal of sense. Um, and that I could see applications for, um, I, I think that we, um, uh, I, I, I will also say before I go into those that I think we have um, a lot of work to do um, to think through how we actually incorporate these technologies into existing workflows, right, in ways that it make them easy to use and um, align the use cases with the people who are most likely to benefit from them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and so from my, where I sit, that's a that's a big question, right? Whenever you're talking about innovation and a new way of doing something is, is how do you take the better mousetrap and use it on a day-to-day basis for the right population of people um, in a way that makes sense for them and, and for all of the other people who are part of that care delivery chain. Um, But, um, you know, I, I think I've seen in the last few years, really exciting innovation in, um, interpretation of electrocardiograms, which are or EKGs, right, which measure heart rhythms. So look at the heartbeat itself and whether the heartbeat is normal or abnormal. Um, there's been some great work done showing that, you know, you can look at a whole host of electrocardiograms and train a model to basically look at any electrocardiogram and determine with very high accuracy whether a person has had an abnormal heart rhythm in the recent past or will go into that abnormal heart rhythm in the recent future. And uh, with that abnormal heart rhythm being atrial fibrillation, which is a very common abnormal heart rhythm in older adults. Um, We've seen a lot of really exciting innovation in interpretation of echocardiograms, which are ultrasounds Mm -hmm. of the heart, Um, you know, done very commonly, I would say, you know, probably aside from an electrocardiogram, the most common cardiology test that, that we order. Um, and, um, um, and there are some really exciting products, tools being developed to automate the initial interpretation of those echocardiograms and make them faster, help take a lot of that work burden off of the backs of clinicians without, um, you know, not remove it completely, but make it much easier for us to read them efficiently. Um, um, tons of use cases in predictive analytics, um, that I, I don't have the time to go into, but those are two concrete examples that I, I thought were worth mentioning. Fantastic. Now, uh, we oftentimes talk about healthcare nirvana and, and when it comes to the work that you're doing with value-based care and, and where do you see, and what do you see as your, uh, Novo Cardia, cardiologist, Dr. Dan Blumenthal, your healthcare nirvana as it pertains to value-based care. <laughs> yeah. My healthcare nirvana. Um, you know, I would, I would love to see a world in which the, in which cardiovascular specialists are receiving, 
um, um, the bulk of their compensation through risk arrangements, um, financial where, where they are financially accountable for the cost of care that we deliver. Um, not because I think that the care that we deliver is not outstanding, but because I think that there are so many other things that we could be doing in addition to what we are doing um, to improve outcomes um, that require really having um, that additional set of, of incentives, right, uh, aligned around population wellness and, and outcomes. Um, not saying that not saying that that would be perfect, but for me, that's, you know, in my role and where I sit, um, that's what Nirvana right now looks like. Fantastic. Uh, we've had a fantastic conversation here with Dr. Dan Blumenthal, president of Novocardia on the Collective Voice of Health IT. Uh, before we go, please, uh, if you'd like to recommend, reference, plug any particular resources you'd like, the floor is yours. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, we, we have a lot of Awesome resources about the care model that we've built, which are available at our website, NovacardiaHealth.com. Uh, um, and then, um, you know, I think there, there's a tremendous amount of, of information also available through um, CVAUSA.com, which is, um, again, our, our, um, our parent company. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and I would um, just want to say, Michael and, and Tawidi in particular, and Thank you very much for having me on. This has been delightful. No, it's our pleasure. It's fantastic uh, chatting with you. Uh, the many hats of, of Dan Blumenthal. That might be the title of, of this <laughs> podcast. But no, we appreciate you coming on, and we wish all the best uh, for you at Novocardia uh, and, and the continued quest for value-based care. Thank you. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.